Hey, Augmenters, I'm Julie. And I'm Jimmy. And we believe authentic, connected relationships are the key to growing your potential. Today, we are joined by Dr. Shakina Williams, Executive Director of the Babson College Center for Women's Entrepreneur Leadership, who is igniting change in the journey of women entrepreneurs through education, advocacy, financial fluency, and mentoring. She shares how intention is the secret sauce for motivating others and being accountable to mentoring relationships. We are thrilled to be hooked by Dr. Shakina Williams as we learn about how intention, whether that's adjustments of language or direction of action, that intention, though, will maximize your mentoring relationships for both mentors and mentees. Yet before we set sail, take a moment, draw a large letter C, C as in champion, in your mind, and then jump over it. So now you can come overseas with us on our mentoring voyage. Oh, Jimmy, dad jokes. Here we go. Dr. Shakina Williams. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to Augmenters. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to have you here to have this discussion for a very long time. I have found you so inspirational. You do so many things, but one that where we overlap a little bit is you are the executive director of the Babson College Center for Women's Entrepreneur Leadership, as well as the Diana International Research Institute. And you are also the founder of Babson's Black Women's entrepreneur leadership program. So you are just an incredible powerhouse in the women entrepreneurship movement. And I have a personal story about my connection with Babson. I am not a Babson grad. I didn't actually even know that much about Babson, but I was recruited to join a group of mentors with the Win Lab, which is a program you can talk a little bit more about, but supporting women entrepreneurs on their growth. And to be honest, that was one of the ways I got so excited about mentoring because I absolutely fell in love with my first mentee. She had a phenomenal business. We really got to know each other and you really inspired me to think more broadly about this topic of mentoring. Then I met Jimmy. Now we're all here. It's full circle. Here we go. I'll stop fangirling and pass it on to you. Lovely connections. Yes. That's a hell of an intro, Julie. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Williams, welcome. And thank you for uh, being so kind to listen in the beginning. <laughs> We're both very, very excited. I grew up in the town next to Babson. I grew up in Newton. So uh, we share Route 9 uh, passing near us. And it's amazing for me to now see such like a vibrancy of connections, entrepreneurship experiences that are all coming together that you touch at Babson that I knew nothing about as I was growing up in this region. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about why you came to Babson in the beginning and that if you ever saw this current state that you're in at Babson? Like, was this, was, was this like the goal when you got there? I'm kind of curious to know your yeah. mindset. Jump. Yeah. Well, I, I say my Babson journey started over 30 years ago. So I'm a proud Babson alum, class of 94. And the story is that my dad pulled out a map. So I'm like, I'm really dating myself and made a circle. <laughs> I, 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 was born and raised, okay. <laughs> I was born and raised in Western Mass. So my dad drew a circle, like you have to go to school within two hours from the house. And then he put a star next to this little town called Wellesley and said, you're going to Babson. I'm like, I have to go to school within two hours, but I'm going to Babson. And he's like, you better get in. That's my story. My parents were very successful entrepreneurs for 35 years in the industry that he was in. Um, they were you know, really encouraging their children, which I was the first one to go to college, to go to this school called Babson, you know, known for entrepreneurship. And that wasn't, I didn't want that to be my path, but I grew up in a very interesting family. My dad did two tours at Vietnam. He was a in the Marines and my mom was from the South, but born in Brooklyn. So what they said goes, and I got into Babson and that's another story, another podcast episode in itself, but I'm really grateful, honestly, for my Babson education. I think about all the multiple degrees I have, but everybody wants to know more about Babson. I returned back to Babson in 2015 to run the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. Was able to, really fortunate to work with some great educators throughout the country, really scaling that program in different cities throughout the U.S. In 2018, had an opportunity to join the Seawell team underneath the direction of Susan Duffy. Susan and I were working on a project uh, prior to that, working with women in Kenya. And I asked her if there's 
ever an opportunity to work with her. Susan's a great, we're talking about mentorship, a great mentor to women. I definitely want to join her team. And the opportunity arised and I joined the team in 2018 as a director of global initiatives, working on their accelerator programs, trying to really grow that on a global level. And then a couple of years later, I became executive director. So it's been a very a quick quick and fun journey to the executive director role, but able to really create. And that's what I love about Babson. You can be very entrepreneurial in your role. So it's been a great ride. I love that. You can feel it with the team and you can feel it with yeah. the spirit and definitely the students. Obviously yeah. over time, I've had a chance to mentor some of the undergrads and the graduate students and you can feel it all the yeah. way through. But going back, I love the story. I'd love to hear more about your parents. My parents were also business owners. My mom started a real estate company and my dad was an accountant. And Jimmy has at least one entrepreneurial parent. So I think we find that a lot of entrepreneurs that we meet tend to have entrepreneurial parents, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about them. Right. So I have to ask, Dr. Williams, was your dad a cartographer? Was he really into maps? Was that his thing? <laughs> no, my father had a really funny sense of humor. Very interesting. <laughs> Is that in quotes? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Like I even think about when I was at Babson, you know, it's the thing. You want to study abroad. You know, I said, I want to go overseas. So he put a C on the ground and go step over that. And I'm like, you know what? But I can't win with this guy. You know what I mean? But I found I found the secret weapon. You know, I mean, if anybody young out there has a parents that you have to find that thing that's gonna make him like say yes to everything. And that secret sauce was my mother. Uh-huh. Till today, my father is deceased, but my mother is still with me. Anything she wants, I'm like, you can have it because she knew how, you know, that back then I was, I was a kid. Do your wife thing, do whatever you need to do. Mom, this is what I want to do. It's the same in our family. I get the like secret, like, hey, so dad said, you know, I'm like, all right, all right, pick the yeah. battles, I'll work on yeah. it. Yeah. I have so many great stories about my relationship with my dad, even like prom, like, you know, he's like, you got to be home by 10. I'm like, seriously? And my mother was traveling and I'm like, 10? Like who? And I just remember crying. Like I called my mom and then he was like, okay, you can go back out. I'm like, but all my friends are gone. This is before cell phones. I'm like, how am I supposed to reach them? I'm like, "Uh, forget it. But that's okay. So so my parents started their business in the 70s. So think about, you know, early 70s, my father's returning back from Vietnam. He could not find a viable employment for his new bride, my mom. They wanted to start a family. Again, he came back. They were living in New York. They decided to move to Western Massachusetts, but really couldn't find anything. He had like little odd jobs working in the hospital, but things have changed. The VA has done a great job working with veterans. But at that time, he was just thinking, thinking about what opportunity does he have. So he started a hair care business out of the trunk of his car, selling beauty supply products to local hairdressers and barbers, to advancing that to having one of the largest warehouses, um, selling various products, also including an educational component, bringing local hairdressers and barbers to trade shows and giving them a platform opportunity to meet with like top companies. And from there, I just think about even the topic today about mentorship. My parents, before it was a thing, now to really work with people in your community. So they worked a lot with people coming out of incarceration, giving them that second chance. Also working with various high schools, particularly there was one that was known for business. So giving these students an opportunity to have hands-on experience like bookkeeping, sales, and the various roles. So my parents really thrived off of like really building up the community and even how they, our lifestyle was more about helping others than really helping our families. So my parents are really philanthropic and helping this Western Mass community really thrive back then. And it's even now today when people, you know, talk about my dad, talk about my parents, they can really reflect back on that because many of those individuals have gone on to have fantastic jobs and, you know, gone to college, the military, a lot of them like police officers, you know, really great roles, but really established that strong leadership skill within them. That's incredible. You know, as we think more and more about mentoring and as we think about this idea that has to be like a formal mentor and it has to be this kind of, you know, sit down at a desk and dynamic, but it sounds like your parents, that was just inherent. And if really one of the goals of mentoring is helping people grow to their potential. That's what they were doing 
day in, day out is helping people help them grow. Right. And really empowering them. I just think about many stores, even like hairdressers, really help them, helping them stretch beyond and how to have multiple streams of income being a, a hairdresser or a barber. And my father was able to facilitate many of these conversations and even helping them work with banks and different organizations to grow their own individual businesses. I've seen that it's very challenging sometimes for folks that are doing a very physical activity in their business, such as it seems like the distribution business. I mean, you're doing storage, you're warehousing, you're moving stuff around, you're dropping it off. Yet there was clearly this empathy and understanding of not just the individual, but also the communities that they were working in and how to connect across the communities. What do you think was part of their success at, at understanding that even though there's a lot of physical work being done, there's still all this you know emotional and human connection that can and really should occur? Right. I think that came from their foundation of faith. My parents are you know devout Christians. They didn't really force that on anyone like formally, but having that base of faith and also family. So people that worked with my father and my, and my mom were like, part of our extended family. So even I think about meals, like lunchtime, it was sitting down at a nice table, giving them that sense of belonging. A lot of the taglines and words that we use now, like diversity, equity, inclusion was already fostered there giving people an opportunity to have that individual self-awareness and that sense of belonging. But one of the things I just think about, one is really meeting people where they are. And again, my parents had no formal education. They did not go to, they didn't finish college. Um, they didn't have the accelerator programs back in the seventies. And my, my father heard about Babson, but didn't take advantage of any other extra training that Babson offered at the time. So they really managed based on gut and also how they wanted to be treated. I think that that really went a long way when a person puts themselves in the situation. And but with that, you're dealing with high risk. So with that gut feeling and that gut management, there was a lot of things that they learned along the way that really jeopardized the continued growth of the business. Wow. That's I love that concept of managing from gut because I think as entrepreneurs, that is definitely where you start. And then eventually you hit all these right. <laughs> blocks where you're like, okay, I don't actually, my gut's not helping me here. Right. Either it's taking me in the wrong direction or I don't know where to go. I feel like your dad must have some really good catchphrases. Jimmy has a little section of uh, getting crazy of favorite phrases, but I can't even wait for that. Are there overseas is uh, that will stick with me forever. And Jimmy, you should put that in your dad jokes, your little dad jokes oh, yeah. basket. Love it. Yeah, um, yeah. But does he have some other good ones? I think about one he, he used to use all the time, but new brooms, all new brooms sweep clean. So like when you have a new broom, it's definitely going to work, but over time it's going to fade. So things that we see now as like, oh, this is amazing. Just preparing yourself that one day it's going to dull out. Something's you're going to have to replace it. So yeah, like I think about that. <laughs> that and everything. So it's really key. Definitely he used that in relationship. He used that term in relationships, but I can also apply it to business. Like, you know, we think about our product or service is the next hot thing, but we need to think about the future. Like, what do we need to do to stay on top of our game? The continue to grow our businesses. I assume, you know, uh, when I think of like all new brooms, you know, of course I'm going to, okay, sweep clean, chimney sweeps, but now I'm going to be on a boat. So now I got to kind of clean the dock and I'm cleaning the fish. It's like, yeah, they do get pretty dirty fast, but everybody's got their like favorite go-to mm -hmm. tool. So there's some, some part of that kind of like comfort level and ability mm -hmm. to uh, have that as a foundation. I guess TikTok won't be foundational for us. No. We'll have to figure no, out no, something no. else. It's funny how you talk about, you know, the broom and related to like the fishing. I think about one of the stories I tell in the book, Hook, about my dad, how he taught me how to be an entrepreneurial leader while fishing fishing. When I caught that fish and I put on the gloves to take off the, the fish off the hook, how devastated he was. I think if he, if he didn't love me, he probably would have kicked me over the boat. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I was still, I was a daddy's girl. Still am. But I'm, I still had that feminine, like, I don't want, you know, to feel the fish on my skin. Like, oh no. And he was like, if you don't take those gloves off. But in that moment, it was like, he wanted me to really feel the victory behind, you know, the fish and the slime and make you really appreciate it. But I think the gloves still would have been okay. I still want to have that same impact. But I think about that. I just think about, you know, there was no kind of discrimination, like lifting that, lifting the bolt, putting the worms on the hook. It was like, 
But it was just those great times spending with my dad. He's definitely one of my first mentors in my life. But, you know, just reflecting back. So that book really made me reflect back and really cherish those moments. Mentors do often help you take the glove off. Yeah, take the gloves off. Yeah. Yeah. That was your class. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. That's not my, uh, I started fishing a couple summers ago in Massachusetts for the first time. And yeah, I got to say, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm definitely impressed. It's definitely messy. Yeah. But the little things that he had me do, it was just like out of the norm. And now like, you know, having my own home, my mom lives with me. And like yesterday I came home, driving back from Boston and she broke the garage door. I'm like, how do you break the garage? So I'm like tinkering with it and I fixed it. She's like, how did you do that? I was like, my dad taught me how to do this. You know, she was like, oh, okay. So everything is like my dad taught me, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. But he was definitely like instilled in me like problem solve. Don't call anybody, you know, just don't try to kill yourself. But my mother's like, it's electric. I'm like, it's probably going to be a little spark, but I'll be all right. But I figured it out. Famous last words. Yeah, Beyond a faith and family, what were the mentors for your father? Did he ever reference anybody from the military or someone before mm-hmm. the military that might have been someone that he looked up to mm-hmm. and really had showed up for him and given him strength at times? Yeah, I definitely, my dad never, and I say never, never shared anything about his military experience with us. And I think it goes to, you know, we talk, we hear about a lot of veterans they go through and they see a lot. So that was really never talked about in our home, but the structure was there for him. He was definitely like, you know, every morning, you know, we made our bed, you know, everything was structured, got to be on time. But I would definitely say my grandfather was his mentor. I mean, I, again, I, I do come from a family of entrepreneurs. My, my father's coming from South Carolina, where my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, but also owned land, also owned other small businesses. But Definitely my grandfather was instilled a lot of great values into my father of thinking outside the box. My father was valedictorian of his high school. He could have went to college, but he decided to go and serve our country, which I'm really proud that he did that because that that was a choice that he made. But he also learned how to create various paths. So knowing that, you know, coming out, he could have chose to take an average job if that's what he wanted to do, but he wanted something bigger for his family. And I think that's definitely what my grandfather represented as well. He definitely left a lot for our, for his grandchildren. And also I think about how he spent time. Like we were the family that lived up North as as they said. And every summer my grandfather would be with us spending time with my father, spending time with his grandchildren. And I think that's what my my father definitely learned from him as well. It's like this legacy of entrepreneurship, right? It's this legacy of family figure it out. You figure it out, but you know, you have your family and you take time out. Like even as my parents were very hard workers, they work long hours, but we always went on a family vacation. Mm. Always. Yeah. So you had that time together. I also meant to give a shout out to the book. It's called Hooked. Yes. Hooked. Entrepreneurial Lessons Learned While Fishing with My Dad. Awesome. Hooked Entrepreneurial Leadership Lessons While Fishing with My Dad by Dr. Shakina Williams on Amazon. We'll have a link in our show notes. But as we're thinking about, you know, kind of these broader ideas of mentoring, it's so great to hear about this foundational mentor who's helped shape you. But today you do a lot around mentoring and entrepreneurship in your day-to-day life. I would love to hear a little bit more about how mentoring shows up for you today. Julie and Jimmy, I'm going to give you some insight. I'm actually collaborating on my Mm -hmm. next book about mentorship with one of my, she's my birthday twin. We are decades. We love birthday twins on this show. Jimmy's my birthday twin. We're birthday twins. When's your birthday? (laughs) Free Slurpee Day. July 11th. Love it. Love it. My mom's July 13th. Love it. Love it. So we're really, we're we're capturing some aspects about mentoring on a different lens, but hopefully that will be, you'll welcome me back and I'll talk about the book. But as far as my various roles within Babson and also beyond, uh, mentorship is, is really near and dear to my heart. Underneath the Center for Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership, as Julie mentioned, uh, we have a mentorship program for our undergrad and also our grad students. We feel that this that is really key. And that's how really Seawell kind of started 23 years ago of looking at the needs of the female identifying students at Babson and saying, how could Babson do a better job as far as engaging women, female students at Babson, engaging co-curricular activities. And that comes not only planning the event, but also having role models that can help them navigate answer questions, be there for a sounding board. And we're continuing to grow these various programs. 
but also in our accelerator programs, we have a mentorship component as well. We call them coaches. Sometimes we call them mentees, but also these are experienced individuals that volunteer to work with our students and also our learners. But one of the things I love about our student program that we have different groups. We have near to peer, which are students that just recently graduated from Babson that's willing to like roll up their sleeves and help the next generation. And then we have our executives, we have our, you know, our powerhouse entrepreneurs that are looking to work with our students as well. And I know Julie, you can probably tell some great stories, but I've heard like these are lifelong relationships, not only helping them identify jobs, but it's always a two-way street. You're learning from each other and building that friendship and that, you know, that sisterhood that we foster within Seawell. And to be able to track each other, right? Is I think what you do so well, and I think is really a model for a lot of mentoring programs that we hear, you know, mentoring programs sometimes in the workplace, like they kind of get lands on somebody's desk and they kind of throw it together and they smash people together and off they go, but it doesn't really work. But I think the template of really having, it's like you said, like these cohorts and these trade mentors and also having the support that Babson provides, which I think is a really great model for other mentoring programs. My favorite group, I've mentored quite a bit through Babson, but one of my favorite was with the New Voices yes. cohort. And it was a group coaching. I had three mentees and myself, and we went through the whole program. We supported, you know, I was had the opportunity to get to support their growth. Shout out Emblem Olive Oil, shout out <laughs> Certified yes. Africa. Shout out, I can yeah. give all of their all of their details. They were phenomenal. But we met once a month for, you know, another year after that. And we, they got a chance to, you know, support each other. I got a chance to support them and they had a chance to support me. So this just goes to show how this can keep rolling on, especially in the entrepreneur environment, because we all need each other. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up about the New Voices Foundation. What I really enjoy, people ask me all the time, like, how do I get a mentor? How do I get a mentee? What I really love to encourage is like inclusive networking right? The New Voices Foundation was a program that we ran for women of color. And we invited those that were interested in working with entrepreneurs. I think that sometimes we were so focused on, we want someone that looks like me, that knows everything, they're in the same industry. And I argue against that because there's so many different perspectives you can give being you know, different, not the same, everything, you're checking every single box. And it's interesting, Julie, as you said on the board, I don't know if you were part of that board meeting one time, one of our male members on our Seawell advisory board said, you know, I want to be a mentor, you know, for like, how did the guys get to play on that part of um, the mentorship? And that's one of the things that makes Seawell different as far as a mentorship program is all females. But the argument is, can males truly mentor women? And in my upcoming book, we're talking a little bit about that. I would say yes, because my dad was my mentor. And I know Jimmy will probably be a fantastic mentor with his jokes as well. But <laughs> we think about, you know, how are we moving it forward? And I think that the argument back is that we want women to be able to share the kind of unique challenges that we face. Males do have a part in our lives because I think about even my career the males that have helped me get my jobs, you know, just advance me in my career, career were males, right? So there is a place for different people in your lives. And I, I just think that's really important to talk about when we talk about mentorship, because I truly f feel it could be anyone. It can be someone that's maybe younger than you as well that can pour something in your life. I hope the answer is yes. But like you, know, you said that males were primarily the ones who were your mentors who helped you get jobs during your career currently. Do you think that for the students that are currently at Sewell and Babson right now, that that is going to be shifting and that there has been a change in the amount of societal power towards equaling the gender gap so that there will be more women who can be the ones who can be in place to like, are, are you seeing that change during your time at Babson? I haven't seen this within the center. I haven't seen the change, but the conversation is there, right, Jimmy? So we talk about, I look at my advisory board when I started less than two years ago, it was maybe two males. I think we probably have almost close, Julie, right, of males. And I tell people, even when I'm going out there speaking and raising money for the center, is that the males that are on our board not only are giving financially, they have stepped up and have been present, have stepped up and given me, like, pulled me to the side and said, listen, Shakina, you need to do this and this. And like, let me help you. Let me assist in that. And I think it's important for me. I welcome all. 
but it's going to be interesting of the shift around the mentorship, particularly because that's our model, you know, women mentoring women. But I feel like how we utilize our males that are allies to see well is more of a industry experts teaching in the classroom, doing roundtable discussions. And I think that's an indirect way of mentorship, but that's definitely a way that our male allies can support um, women entrepreneurial leaders. Which has been a wonderful experience. I've gotten to come to one or two of yeah. those roundtables, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been very special. We all think differently, and I just think in my transition into being executive director, and as, as I continue to grow, and I, we talked briefly in the beginning about even the change in the mission and vision. You know, that was done in collaboration with our male allies because they're looking at what we're doing in a different lens than if I would have brought Julie in. That's like, you know, I'm not speaking about you will say this, but I'm saying she might say, well, everything is good. You know, I've been part of this. And they're like, well, this is what the trends are from our perspective. So I just love hearing a well-rounded view on things and we can kind of synthesize that. And that's how we came up with our new mission and vision for Seawell. Yeah, absolutely. I run a woman-owned business and we have a lot of ladies on the team, but we <laughs> really are so grateful for a diversity of perspective because it really, it changes how we see everything, no matter where people are coming from. I was going to shift gears a little bit because I'd love to talk a little bit about connection. And we feel like one of the best ways for a successful mentoring relationship is to have a really authentic connection with the mentor, with the mentee. And knowing how, you know, busy you are, you have so many people that you're, you know, so many stakeholders that you're working with, whether it's your board, whether it's your student, how do you find a way to really connect authentically with others? And how do you recommend others kind of tap into that into themselves to be able to connect more authentically? Right. I think definitely the connection comes with communication. So I'm very clear with my team because as you just mentioned, I have so many different stakeholders that I have to talk to, engage with, but I, I say my priority. So my priority first is my team because I cannot do what I do without my team. And then it's the Babson students and then beyond. So even when I am on campus or in a meeting, if there is an emergency with my teammates and also the students, that's my first priority. And I just think the way that we even call ourselves amongst each other, even though we have different titles, this is my colleague. This is not my, this, and I give people the utmost respect and then also being present in the moment. Many times when we are meeting with people, you know, we're picking up our phone, we're on email, we're doing, I just want to be present. So even taking, being intentional with my time going into this year, I sat down with my team and said, okay, how can I make this work? to give time to our advisory board members, to give time to our students. And I think I figured it out. So this is what they oh gosh, 20, tell me, how did you do 20. it? <laughs> so what I did, because I have a lot of meetings is that I cut out a, having meetings all every Monday through Friday. So my virtual meetings are only going to take place Monday, Tuesdays, and half day on Fridays. When I'm on campus on Wednesdays and Thursdays, there's no virtual meetings unless Somebody's writing a check. I, I will take those calls. <laughs> I try not to. Relatable. Relatable. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's get into it. What kind of check size? You know, like I got a checkbook behind me. Do I need like, you know, $5? Jimmy, I told, what was the magical number, Julie? Were you listening at the call? What was the magical number we want to raise in two years? You don't remember? I had to hop off in the second half. What is it? $5 million. So, Jimmy, just go ahead and write that check, right? And, uh, and we I'll, appreciate it. I'll, I'll write it. It'll, it'll never cash. You go just <laughs> no. keep bouncing for you. So. So I, I made a challenge to the board of advisors. We're going to raise $5 million towards our 25th anniversary. We broke out in teams and we're going to figure this out and we're going to make this happen. But we even broke that down as a team, how we're going to achieve that goal. So we're going to happy to be, report back out to the advisors in a couple of months. But just going back to the, the schedule, it's just doing that and within those time blocks. Kenzie, who is our operations manager, has intentionally put an hour block on my calendar every day. She's like, you either need to get up off the computer, you need to eat lunch, you need to go walk, you need to do something, but you're not on the computer, you're not talking to anyone. So this really recharge myself because I do work a lot. I have, you know, through COVID, probably messed up my legs, probably been sitting down and we, we're seeing all these studies now about how it's connected to other diseases, but I'm really trying to be intentional to be, protect myself, protect my time and protect my team. So even 
measuring the length of calls, right? Do I need to meet with someone for an hour? Is it 15 minutes? Can I pass that over to someone else that they can kind of vet out this person? Because of course, everybody wants to know about Siwa. I'm like, is this a video opportunity? So I, we can create a video, you know, and then they can follow mm. We're really trying to be innovative as far as protecting all of our time and then really being strategic about what we're going to do over the next couple of years. Because I have a team, including myself, we are, yes, we're always like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do that. That sounds great. And we're like, okay, <laughs> you know, we're running ourselves out, but it's really time management is the key for, for me that I have to continue to develop because there's still emails. There's still something I have to get to. So now you can just use chat GBT. You don't need to send emails anymore. There you go. There you go. I haven't heard of that. What's chat? It's the new AI chat where, you know, you can like basically like put in like certain topics and it'll just like kick out emails for you Jimmy, or listen. anything. Jimmy, yeah. See, that's why I'm here. See, I should be writing you a check for that. <laughs> Be a very small check. Five five dollars. I'll be very happy. Five dollars? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Next month I'll give you the five <laughs> Actually, I have to say Batson has phenomenal swag. I gotta be honest. That green blanket yeah. is like it's I have an office downstairs. It is wrapped around me and all yeah. the mugs. So I think Jimmy, you'd probably just be excited about it. Maybe a mug and a blanket too. We're good gift givers. I think that's, you know, one of those we think about our, you know, people say love language is like, we definitely love to show appreciation to those that are giving up their time and also their resources to us. So we definitely want to make sure everybody feels appreciated. The word that's really coming to mind during this conversation here, Dr. Williams, is really intention. I feel like I sense a lot of intention in the thoughtfulness that comes behind the programs that you set out the intention around, you know, the goals that you're working towards and then the intention and really setting your schedules so that you're able to have these conversations, which to be frank is a lot of the part of barrier to mentoring. It's not because people don't care about others. It's not because they don't want to contribute to future generations. They just don't actually have time. Does that resonate with you? The word intention? Intention. It, it does. It does. Because nowadays everything is so quick. Everybody wants short information. You know, we talk about AI, you know, say a few words, it spits out an email. But what we're losing is that personal connection, you know, sitting down over coffee. Like I think about now, if if I could spend a half a day with my mentor, I would love it, you know? And I and I see even some of the advisors on the call, I'm like, I really want to talk to them, but I'm like, I don't, you know, but it's just really being intentional with your time. And even if you have to plan it out, far in advance and that person can give you more time than 15 minutes, I'd rather wait and have longer time. Yeah. But I think also with intention is more the gratitude as well, because every, I think, why not think, I know time is a commodity. So we really need to appreciate people's time that they give to us. The quote I always say to the students I work with are, is, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of time. So I wrote you a long letter, uh, the quote by Mark Twain. Oh, wow. And that, so like when you do have space and time with somebody you really need to if if you can't be succinct you know you need to keep be vulnerable you know actually give yourself to the conversation and show up right exactly exactly we're going through interviews now and it's interesting how people don't even do their homework so half of the things if they just do a little simple google search you know this simple like you should know where Babs is located you know simple things like that <laughs> oh wait i'm going to new england i can't yeah. go there no. right Where's Babson? What what is what is Babson? What is Seawell? It's like, oh wow. Do you not have technology? <laughs> I digress. I'm sorry. It was a no, pain no, pain I love it because like I, I just had my, my opening class for the semester on Wednesday. I, I teach at uh, Tufts University's uh, Friedman uh, Graduate School of Nutrition Science and Policy downtown in Boston. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tell the students, I'm like, so there's 23 of you here, and I can guarantee one of you is just not going to LinkedIn connect me by the end of the year. I don't know why. Maybe you don't like me. That's fine. But I'm telling you, LinkedIn connect me. I will help you get a job. I'll do whatever it is. You're in my class. And it's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> wow. They don't Actually, want that connection. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I just think there's there's a lack of kind of like doing the research. There's just right. like a, a missed moment for some reason. Right. And right. I don't know why. But it's right. a huge opportunity for those who do, right? I think if they are, but, you know, somebody, we had a mentoring conversation with actually one of Jimmy's students yesterday. And she was like, what could I do to be prepared to work at your company? I was like, wow. write emails that make sense. <laughs> Use <That's it>. punctuation. <laughs> That's it. And then make it easier for the person you're asking to do something for you. So if you want an introduction to someone that I can connect you with, 
least draft it. I can tweak it. That would, for me, I tell people, give me something so I can work with it. I can execute on that. But if I'm doing something from scratch and I have to pull your LinkedIn and do that's a lot of work, a lot of time. So yeah, make it easy. So I'm glad you said from scratch, because I had this question I really wanted to ask you, given you know what you've seen at Babs and what you've created, how you've already you know, done some shifting. There's this like joke in sports that if like, okay, if you were drafting a brand new team, you're starting a brand new franchise, what would be your number one draft pick out of like the NBA? Ooh. You know, like who, who are you choosing? If you were going to start a whole new mentoring program, not necessarily associated with the university or a nonprofit, even in a for-profit, what's like the number one thing or your first step, or what would you make sure that you did really well? As far as people or resources? You know, like you're saying it's like find the right leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. But like the leader's already there. You know, I have the intention. I'm the leader going forward. You know, what, what's this first step that's going to be so crucial to success? Is it that intentional theme? You know, is it making sure you know what, what your marketing is to get people right. to, to raise awareness? Like raising right. five mil, <laughs> you know, what do you? I know, I know. So I think what Babson does well, we base things that we do on research and there's always mm-hmm. an invisible theory behind it. We don't put it out there like we're using this methodology. And I think that. That's why our mentorship program is very successful because it's based on research and based on someone's methodology. So if I had to start it from scratch, I would incorporate the research again, but also find Mm -hmm. a platform that could be utilized to further engage the conversations and also the connections. I know AI is a thing, but it's hard to allow a computer to connect us together. But how could we leverage technology to continue the conversation and create kind of metrics and milestones that both the mentee and mentor can stay connected that way? Because I feel like even in the age of, again, I'm digressing, like looking for candidates, we can't allow like AI to say, I'm going to call LinkedIn and select a couple of people because you might have a skill set that's transferable to what we do in higher education. So to answer your question, continue based on research, but leveraging technology to further the growth of the relationship. And is there something that you've picked up on that's like a key difference between a program that is focused solely on women and connecting women to achieve their full potential as opposed to men? Or maybe just the focus on women. Is there is there something that's unique to that you found that that's crucial to the success? Right. I think now, since our programs are focused on women, mentoring other women, the success is that we get it. We have gone through similar situations, but as the world changes, right, we have to be mindful of people that identify as women and be mindful in that space. That's the big shift that is occurring. So I feel like our lawyers at Bathroom will love me for saying that I have to change my language. We had to change our language at Sewell. We use the term female in our language versus women. So we have to say women identifying. So that's one big thing. The difference between having a program solely for women, for women different than males being able to mentor women is that the perspective, as I mentioned before, is that male allies bring a different perspective to the conversation. And I think about, again, the males that are on our board, I would say their passion and desire is Many of them are raising their daughters, you know, with their wives. Many of them are in a space where they see the gap and they're challenging their colleagues. So again, we need everyone to win. No pun intended to win left. (laughs) But it's one of those things that we have to continue to develop safe communities for people to be able to share and grow. And I think it comes down to trust and being able to inspire. I'm reading that book by Stephen Covey, (laughs) Trust and Inspire, because it's one of those things is that you can learn, like I said, you can learn from anyone. Someone can inspire you, but it's like really having that trust factor, right? And it's different because people can say from a different angle, can, you know, can a white male mentor Shakina? I'm like, absolutely. But when it comes down to like cultural differences, if I'm going through a challenge, it might not be a great conversation, might be a little bit difficult, but that individual can explain it from their perspective and I can take it or leave it. Right. But I just feel like we need to, you know, embrace both sides. And, you know, again, as the world changes, I think we're going to see a big shift in the things that we do and see well. 
I don't know if you purposely teed me up for that transition, but I'm going to take it. That, that was delightful. It. Grab it. <laughs> yeah, I'm running. I'm running with it. So you said that this vision of how Seawall is going to move forward. I'm curious, how do you think mentoring is going to change? And I'm going to ask the question by saying, like, what what is the definition in 2050? Like, if you needed to write yourself a letter and bury it for 27 years, what's going to be that definition of mentor? Are we going to still use the word mentorship? You know, you're clearly very tied into language. You just talked about the difference mm-hmm. between female and women. What do you think? I think it's definitely going to shift because of the different identities that's going to appear. I'm thinking hopefully in 2050, centers for women probably might not be a thing because we've closed that gap, right? We've closed that gap in business. We've closed the wage gap. We've closed the revenue gap. So we're talking about a whole different, another problem that's happening in the world. That would be a good scenario in 2050. But I think that as we're shifting, it's more about inclusion. It's more about being transformational. So how are we going to utilize the resources that we have? and also gain new ones to be more advanced in our careers and also in our businesses. I think that's where the shift is going to happen. And again, we think about 20 years ago, technology, the whole AI was not even a thing. Who knows the next 10 years, what conversations we're going to have about how we're communicating with each other. Yeah, you're going to have your AI just write me emails. It's going to be Exactly, exactly, exactly. The goal of Centers for Women is to close these gaps. So hopefully in what, 30 years from now, we're not yeah. you know, still struggling. So I always think about, uh, I live in New York City. My daughters, we did like Lower East Side tenement museums over time when they were in grammar school. We all go on field trips and spend time there. And it was like, oh yeah, no, this is like the Irish, like everything was just, if you were Irish, you went to only Irish groups and you participated in groups that were helping Irish immigrants be part of society. And now they're of course Irish groups, but it's not, there's not like a center for Irish entrepreneurship at Babson. <laughs> Correct. And we are even exploring like, you know, we are the Center for Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership, but we have a fourth pillar of inclusive innovation because at Babson, there's not a center or institute that focuses on different, like say the Black Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Program was born underneath Sewell. We don't have a separate arm dealing with different gaps in entrepreneurship when it pertains Mm. to race or sexual orientation that doesn't exist at Babson, but it's applied throughout various programs. But we're thinking about what is the next big, huge gap in business that Babson has to conquer. And I think that's going to be the next thing. That's really exciting. That's a big idea right there. It's a big idea. And I think that as women businesses continue to grow, we will probably see a shift in Babson. We're almost 50% males and uh, females, but let's see the future. It might turn, right? It might be 70, 30. And then that's a whole different, do we start a a center for men in leadership? I don't know. (laughs) That would work out. You know, here we go. But we don't know what the future holds, but, you know, it's just interesting. And we definitely listen. We definitely listen to our students and learners and we're ready to shift and pivot as need be. But right now we're just improving what the rich history we've had in the last 23 years. I have two more questions for you. And this one I've been looking forward to for a long time, just given, uh-huh. you know, how much you're in like the mentoring world. and such a leader. I mean, so many people look up to, you know, how you lead your organization. This is very simple. Rapid fire word association. So the first okay. thing that comes to mind, when I say the word mentor, what do you think? I don't know why I said, I'm thinking in my head, French fries. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing. And it's almost lunch. It, Nobody it is has lunch ever time. said French fries. No, when I think of mentor, I think of um, strength. What about when I say mentee? You know, burger, uh, ketchup? No, I would say milkshake, but um, vanilla, of course, <laughs> and Chick-fil-A. But anyway, we're... <laughs> I would think for mentee is power. Sponsor. Open door. And lastly, the word coach. Why is food on my mind? Empowerment. Well, what was the food one? I would say popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Coach popcorn. My brother's a coach. It's like, you know, he's just like, he's like, boom. I'm like, okay, calm down. Like, he's like that person. If I'm like a little down, I'm like, uh, he's like, hey, you can do it, blah, blah, blah. He's an athletic director and he's just like always has something like very profound to say. It's like, okay, I can do it. Oh my God. I, I, he sounds amazing. I love it. Yeah. That's the best. And what's the number one thing that students say to you that you think they shouldn't when asking for a mentor? Cause I'm sure you get, you know, the one line emails, Dr. Williams, you need to be my mentor. What's the number one thing that you're like, please never do again. 
please. Mm, I think from my perspective is starting off, like, I know you don't have time and they call me, they say, they'll say, Shakina, I know you don't have time, but I want to get on your calendar for career advice instead of being more specific of like who they are, why they want, want this, you know, opportunity with me or whoever in my network and what are they going to bring to the table? Right. I, when I talk to students, it's like, we have to think about mentorship as a two-way street. So if you want something from whoever, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to do? And I think when I mentor people, it's like my time. I'm like, I'm giving you time on my calendar. You can't cancel last minute. You have to come prepared. You, we have to be able to give each other feedback and go from there. I think it's really like understanding. And sometimes people don't know, but be very, be ready to be able to give something up up from yourself. And it can be very small, particularly the younger generation with technology. You know, I'm willing to say, oh, I'll give you a quick lesson on Instagram or whatever, or stay in touch. Like if someone says, I connected you to Jimmy and Julie is saying, I met with them. Thank you. This was the follow-up. Because sometimes you're you're left out there and you're like, I don't know. I'm like, did they contact them? I don't know. And we're like, you know, at a meeting, you're like, oh, so-and-so called me. And I'm like, oh, they did. I'm sorry. It's pretty simple, but it's like those kind of little tiny things that make it. And again, like today, if somebody does that, you know, you don't have to have a PhD and a hundred other things. If you can just do that, you are already so far ahead of everybody else. And I'm trying to practice what I preach too, is that it goes back to my time management is that I really want to be intentional about saying thank you, following up with individuals. And it, and it hurts my feelings when people are like, I know you're busy. And I'm like, I am, but I really want to follow up on all these, you know, requests and ask, or even like, you know, blanket solicitations is like, so people are not left out there because the, the one of the most embarrassing things is that when you do have an opportunity or you might be somewhere else and you're next to that person, it's like, yeah, I emailed you two months ago. It's like, you did? I'm sorry. <laughs> so... Well, Dr. Williams, this is a perfect way to end the podcast where we can thank you profoundly for your time and being intentional with us and talking about your incredible experience, your book, Hooked, your dad, what you're up to at Babson and all the ways that you're bringing this intentional mentoring into the world. And I think Jimmy and I are, I mean, my brain's on fire thinking about the future and um, this innovation around entrepreneurship and, and what that could mean. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time. Oh, Jimmy, that was such a great conversation. I loved hearing more about Dr. Williams, who I obviously know somewhat professionally, but had not had the chance to hear her story. And I feel like I learned a lot about intention in a mentoring relationship, but not just overall being intentional about the relationship, but actually like the logistics and the mechanics and setting time for it and like time blocking and making sure that you are able to commit to the amount of relationships that you actually have time for. Which which is hard to do. Yeah, I think Shakina makes me think twice about my ability to manage my calendar as a, she is so clear and obviously very much follows through with whatever she begins. And I think that's something that can get missed in mentoring all too often that you might say, sure, I can do this, but then miss expectations. And honestly, missed expectations are the root of almost all relationship issues. Yeah, actually, they say that resentment is uncommunicated expectations. So sometimes you're expecting something Mm. from somebody else and you haven't communicated your expectations. And then sometimes you can get resentful, which can happen in a mentoring relationship. If you are expecting, you know, a certain amount of time from somebody, you're expecting somebody to be able to make introductions for you or to really hold your hand and that person doesn't have time and you haven't communicated your expectations, you can definitely end up in a bad situation. Well, I hope gratitude is the opposite of resentment because Dr. Williams definitely met and exceeded the expectations we had for our conversation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And just, yeah, a really good reminder about setting the time for yourself. And then I loved her vision of a world where there is not a women's entrepreneur leadership academy or there's not Mm -hmm. a specific women's apart or black leadership entrepreneur groups like that it all just becomes part of it. And maybe there's something totally different that we hadn't even thought of yet. 
So I appreciated her thinking about what's happening today as well as what's happening in the future. I thought that was a spot on comment about how a simple statement of basically restructuring the power dynamics would then lead towards not having to necessarily focus on these areas. I mean, now these areas of focus are incredibly important and providing such a mass of, in- of innovation and energy to all of our markets. But uh, yeah, I, she nailed that question. That really blew me away. Really blew me away. And I am very excited to read her book, Hooked. I can't wait to hear more Dad Words of Wisdom because he sounds like an incredible character. He would have been a great podcast guest, but I'm excited to uh, check out her book and keep following along because Babson's doing great stuff. Yeah, Julie, it's great that you mentioned Dr. Williams's father. And obviously they were quite a husband and wife team to grow that business. And it was scrappy, sounds like in the beginning, but really you know became an organization. I think something not to be missed there was their initial you know reason for being, which seemed their initial reason for being was to help the community. That was their intention. It wasn't that they were going to necessarily change XYZ market or develop XYZ best product. It was to help the community and that continued to come through such as bringing in staff members for meals and bringing community members for meals and educating the community, which happened to be their customers in the beginning. But that intention really kind of hit me as I was thinking about it, our talk with Dr. Williams afterwards because of you know the new community I've been in now in Baltimore, Maryland over the last five years and you're showing up for community meetings and trying to make sure my business is hiring people that are local and plan to stay here and plan to become of this fabric and grow the fabric of the community. And I think that shouldn't be overlooked for organizations that are geographically focused or have some kind of geographic nexus. I think that's a big deal. That's an intention not to be missed. And it can be like, not that be your reason for being in business, but it can be very much be an intentional part about business, which then a stronger community will only lead to good business. I love that, Jimmy, because I think, I can't remember who was talking about this with us, but like hustle culture, grind culture, you know, like make cash, sell lots, go public, like get as much money as possible. And if that is, you know, your intention for your business, then that's one way to do it. But you're absolutely right. That intention of creating, you know, a sustainable business and giving opportunities is really, I agree, totally inspiring and a good reminder of why we do these kind of things to be able to give back. So hopefully our little team, we're going to have Friday lunch. That's the plan. So thank you, Dr. Williams, for reminding me. We hope this episode was brief yet bright. And now it's time to read us out. And remember, we are here because real relationships have the power to transform organizations and build dynamic communities. Absolutely. Augmenters supports mentoring that matters. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about, someone who needs a new mentoring relationship in their life pronto. We welcome questions and suggestions via email. Hi at augmenters.us or via social media with our handle at augmentershq. Shout out to our producers, Erlen Cato. Thank you. Augmenters out. See ya.